about 400 people in the building that aren't afraid to testify that he did it. Come on, I used to be on drugs, but he did it. I was bound by alcohol, but he did it. I was sick in my bed, but he did it. My marriage was about to fall apart. this morning uh, that he did it I just need a few radical people in the house uh, that aren't afraid to lift your voice uh, and scream uh, at the top of your lungs uh, to God be the glory uh, to God be the glory uh, in this house that if you only knew what God had done you see just maybe a year ago a little over a year ago this young man was involved in a car accident over a hundred miles an hour straight into a tree the vehicle in pieces there is no chance by any statistic that he should have survived or made it out alive but there was a God in heaven that looked down and put his hand on the situation and so now if you wonder why he's dancing if you wonder why he's for God. He should have been dead. He should have been sleeping in a grave. But he did it. He did it. He did it. Somebody in the building ought to take about 60 seconds and give him a shout of praise because he did it. Yeah.
fight. But I came out victorious. I had to struggle. But I came out on top. To God be the glory. I'll clap your hands one more time in this building. And shout with a voice of triumph in this place. Anybody feel the victory of the Holy Ghost in this house? High five about eight people on the way to your seat. Tell them God made it fail. Come on, tell them God made it fail. They had more money than me, but God made it fail. They had a higher position than I did, but God made it fail. Hey. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? You can be seated for just a few moments. Let me take a brief opportunity at, at the, uh, this uh, crossroads in the service to say what an absolute honor it is to have every one of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord. Rock Church, we have a house full of guests here. Would you help me one more time? Put your hands together. Come on, help me give it the best you can. Let's make some noise one more time uh, and welcome all of our guests into the house of the Lord today. Amen. We are so, so excited that you're here this morning and uh, you are a guest of honor in the Rock Church. And we have a little understanding here at the Rock Church that you are only a guest for the first five minutes that you come through the doors. So if you've been here longer than five minutes, we just want to tell you, welcome home this morning. Amen, somebody. Would you help me turn around 360 degrees, shake every hand you can reach, tell them welcome home this morning. Come on, just tell them welcome home. I need everybody to help me be, to, welcome home, welcome home, welcome home. What an honor to have you in the house of the Lord. Amen. God has been doing so many incredible things. Welcome to Supernatural Sunday. Woo! I feel the expectation of the Holy Ghost in this house. Amen. Supernatural Sunday has become a designated uh, weekend and day that this church comes together in a uh, concentrated focus on allowing God to work through us lay his hand upon us and move in a supernatural way the Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight two can put ten thousand to flight and there is an exponential power that comes when God's people come together tell your neighbor together in one mind and one accord heaven touches earth that's what happened on the day of Pentecost they were in one mind and in one accord when there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind I believe we can experience the moving of heaven in this house today amen somebody and we're so excited to all of our guests that are here welcome welcome and uh, it is a, a, a double honor this morning to have back with us again this year all the way from the great state of Virginia, uh, my dear friend, uh, Pastor Marty Varnell in the house of the Lord today. Would you help me give him a great big welcome back this morning? 
Amen. We appreciate this great man of God, his, uh, his anointing, his calling, and God's hand upon him. And I believe uh, that God has strategically connected him with this house uh, for such a season and time as this. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has been uh, spending time with God uh, at the throne room and has brought a word from heaven to this house today. Is there anybody that came with expectation in your spirit? I want you to stand with me all over this house as we prepare to receive the word of the Lord in this place. Amen. Would you one more time lift your hands to heaven? And while you lift your hands to heaven, would you open up your mouth? And would you begin to give God a great big praise all across this sanctuary as Brother Varnell comes to deliver the word of the Lord to us? Come on, lift your voice and give God a praise today as he comes. Come on and clap your hands for the Lord. Give him great praise in this house. Come on, give him great praise in this house. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. It feels good in here. Or as my kids would say, it feels churchy in here. And uh, I like it. I like it a lot. I uh, was reading some time ago in my Bible and I began to Notice some things about our apostolic worship. And I'm not here to preach on worship this morning. That's like trying to fix something that isn't broke here. But I, uh, I noticed something. The Old Testament was extremely specific about how you praised God. It told them to lift your hands. It gave examples of them running, dancing, when the Spirit of the Lord, here's the key, would move on them. On them. It was not in them, it was on them. The Bible talks about that he would come at specific times and he would move on them. But in the New Testament, it is completely devoid of how I praise God. The only reference that could be taken in the New Testament is when we were commanded to lift holy hands. That's it. And I got to thinking about it. I, I, I believe I figured it out. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the issue of life in them. So they had to be taught how to respond to something that moved on them. But in the New Testament, we have the spirit of life, the Holy Ghost in us. And when you are full of the Holy Ghost, you don't need anybody to tell you how. The Bible said it flows out of us like rivers of living living water. So today is a little different and uh, I, I really wish I could just kind of fan this flame 
and get an altar full of folks and pray them through and baptize them in Jesus' name. However, that is not my purpose here today. Um, I, 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 it's not, but that's what I want to do. <laughs> that's what I'd like to do. Uh, but we all understand as adults, when you reach about 20, 21 in there, life ceases to be about what you want to do, and it becomes about what you have to do. I, I can't leave without telling you this, though. I, I can't help it. And I got to hurry. I don't want to keep you here all day, and I'm hungry, too. Um, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord, not life, not, not peace, not tranquility, not even happiness, not even contentment, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. But I got to looking at it, got to studying a little bit. It's, it won't kill you. You ought to try it. I got to studying a little bit, and I discovered that the word joy is the Hebrew word aziz, A-Z-I-Z. -Z. It's used in various ways, but in this context, it lends itself to this thought. It is not a state of mind. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotional context for the moment. It's a behavior. Because when you boil it all down, aziz translates this way, to leap and to flail the arms wildly while lifting your voice in gratitude. So if you're feeling a little weak in your soul, you're not going to wish your way out. A sermon is not going to pull you out. You got to make a decision. Watch me. Here's the key. When you least feel like it. When you want to sit down and let everybody else carry you. You gotta make a decision that I'm gonna be a mature Christian and my people are not destroyed for a lack of, they're destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We're not destroyed for a lack of power. We're not destroyed for a lack of, uh, 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 of even uh, the presence of God. But we watch Holy Ghost filled people sometimes be destroyed and here's the key, they're not acting and reacting on knowledge, they're acting and reacting on emotion. I love this band, I love it. It thrills my soul, I'm all about it. But I'm gonna tell you something, tomorrow morning on the way to work with nothing going on, no music, no saints, I can make a decision I can make up in my mind. I'm not going through this day in the mully grubs. I'm going to get my spirit right. And I'm going to make a choice. And I can have Holy Ghost Church all by myself.
you're not here to preach on worship. Stop. Just stop. We have a lot of people that come to church, but they leave church at church. Church ought to be where I am. I'm part of the church. The church is not this building. You're the church. Everywhere I go, church is going. You know, when you're 16 years old, you don't want, you don't want your friends to know, you know, that your mama's crazy. But I had one of them crazy apostolic mothers. I did. She'd be in a store, Walmart. We didn't have Walmart back then, but uh, Wal Five and Dime. Y'all remember the Five and Dimes? Ain't none of y'all old enough. A couple of you shaking your head. Woolworth. I remember Woolworth. I've been beating every Woolworth in America. I think. Back in the day, your mama take care of it right now. Not when you get home, right now. I think I've been whipped by every elder in our church too, but now, you know, you do that, you go to jail. Back then, it was the nearest one, get him. But my mother was crazy. She didn't care who was there. She didn't, the president could have been one aisle over in Woolworth and she wouldn't care. If you come up to her and said, Sister Barnell, I need for you to pray for me, she'd look at me and say, hold my purse. And it's on in Woolworth. And I tell you what I learned from that. My mother had a revelation that church is where I am. Man, I want to preach on worship and take this off for next week. Uh, okay, Genesis 26, I got to shut up. I, I got to. There is a spirit and an undercurrent of the Holy Ghost in this house today. Last night in my hotel room, praying about this service and this church, I kept hearing this come to me again and again and again. And I want to I stipulate something. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I am a preacher, and I know how to pray. And it kept coming to me so forcefully again and again and again. Tell my people that we have not wasted our seed in this structure. I, I'm going to say that again. I kept hearing, not once, not twice, but again. It's like it was on repeat in my head. I told pastor in the office, I said, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, some people hear from God every 15 seconds. They get up in the morning, they got a jump drive. They plug it in Jesus and he downloads everything he's thinking to them. Well, it don't work like that for me. I get most of the stuff I hear from God from one of these. But I have learned that from time to time, when you're praying and you're seeking the Lord, I've learned to listen to the subtle things. Bible said in a still small voice. And it kept coming to me, tell my people, that we have not wasted our seed in this structure. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I have not wasted my seed in this structure. What I 
and my people have done is for eternal purpose. And I feel in the Holy Ghost to tell you, God is working behind the scenes. And we're about to see the hand of the Lord walk out in the middle of seeming hopelessness and uncertainty. My God, I feel the Holy. And God is going to say, right here. And when God does it, nobody can stop it. So I tell you what I feel like telling the devil this morning about what we're fixing to do. Hey, Satan, there ain't a thing you can do about what God is doing. Not a single thing you can do about it. You can rage, you can threaten, you can cajole, you can bring fear, you can bring anxiety, you can plan uncertainty. But when God says, I would remind you that's the hand that holds the universe in orbit. Y'all cut it out. Genesis 26. Just a little elevator music. Y'all gonna mess me up. If I could sing this morning, I would sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. If I could sing and I can't, I'm a, you're welcome that I'm not singing. You're welcome. If I could sing, I would sing about he reached down his hand for me. Some of y'all don't even know that song. That is an old song. When he reached way down for me. I just feel like this morning that the steady faithfulness of God's people is about to break through barriers and we're going to see the hand of God in action. You say, Brother Varnell, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about what I think, I'm talking about what I know. For 11 years, look at me in my eyes, for 11 years, I fought the city, the county, the state, and the federal government to build the church where I live. We had one excuse after another, one roadblock after another, 19 pieces of property. We spent a sizable sum of money doing due diligence to see if it was gonna work to build a church and every door shut, every door shut. Meanwhile, I'm packed in a building and I was putting over 200 people. If you added about four more rows to this, that's it. We was having 225, 275. The kids couldn't ever come to church. They had to stay next door. I didn't have any space to grow. For 11 years, I beat my head against the wall. I prayed, I fasted, I sought God, I worshiped. I tried everything I know. And nothing that I tried. But our church, every year, 
In three weeks, we have ours, our Supernatural Sunday. And for about 13 years now, that church, probably if you add it all up, has given a little over $10 million. This church twice the size of mine. These people have been faithful. They never wavered. They never said, well, what's it going to be? I mean, we've been given all these years. But no, no, every year on Sacrifice Supernatural Sunday, they'd come in and I'd see tears and I'd see joy and they'd give and they'd give and they'd give. I'm fixing to move into a building that's going to, they said it's going to be worth somewhere between seven and nine million dollars. In about five weeks, we'll have our first service in it. And we're going to walk away from it owing less than one and a half million dollars total. Because faithfulness and steadiness and walking with the Lord. One day you're like, God, is it ever going to end? And you wake up one morning and God says, I got to hurry. We had a man in the city that we found out later did not like Christians, didn't like any religion. He was anti-God, anti-good, anti-everything. And he was the one blocking our plans. And one day, my church administrator, who is a trained police officer and investigator, very high up in the police department, he said, Pastor, I've been praying, I think we need to go see the mayor. We set up an appointment, and we were just asking to meet with the mayor. This is how God works. When God starts this business, we walked in, the mayor was there, and every department head in the entirety of the city was sitting around that table. Code enforcement, fire, police, city manager, Everybody was there, comptroller, everybody. I mean, everybody who was anybody. The head of every department was sitting there, and we walked in. He said, Reverend, sit here. Mr. Pavey, sit here. He said, this is your meeting. What do you like to talk to us about? And we started going through all the things for 11 years that had been blocked that we could not do, we could not do, we could not do. And while my, this, my administrator is telling him this story, I'm watching the mayor out of my left eye. And he's got a big legal pad. And he turned it sideways and he began to write, unacceptable, fix it. What I was seeing was God going. At the end of all of us going through the whole litany of it, the mayor just simply held up the pad that said, unacceptable, fix it. And then he said these words. Everyone at this table serves and has a job at the pleasure of the mayor. And the mayor is not pleased at all. So here's what I want. I don't want to hear why they can't do anything they want to do. What I want to hear when it gets to me is how you figured it out and fixed it and they're doing what they want to do. Oh, Brother 
Brother Varnell, you don't have enough property. I don't. So the mayor said, we're going to get an exemption for that. And he'd look at the guy in code enforcement and plans and engineering and say, figure it out. And they'd go figure it out. Oh, we had a long meeting. Well, we can't do that because fix it. That was his answer, fix it. I don't want to hear why we can't fix it. Figure it out. That meeting ended at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And for 11 years, I beat my head against the wall. And by 5.15, we had stamped approved plans. Because when God says, I've said this five times. I mean it this time. Genesis chapter 26. I want to say what an honor it is to be here. I've asked the Lord. I'm 58, almost 59. I've asked the Lord in the last 20 years I have of life and ministry, I've asked the Lord to let me help his church raise $50 million additional. And already raised close to 30. I keep, I, I've, I've lost track either right at 30 or right over or right under. I'm not sure exactly where we are, but we're close. I've asked the Lord to let me join hands with pastors that have vision and energy and strength. Now, anybody that gets my age understands you ain't 20 no more. Last time I left this church, when I preached on a Sunday night, I asked the Lord three times to kill me before we got home. Y'all ain't doing that to me today. And I am honored to be a part of this journey with this church. And I'm already seeing, I'm all, I got plans. I got to tell pastor, I got plans. You don't even need an architect, I got plans. I can spend your money, elder. I got, I'll help you raise it, then I'm going to spend it for you. I want to give you one, you can be seated. I want to give you one context and now, now understand, tonight will be different. I'll preach my socks down around my ankles, scream, holler, spit on everybody. But this morning, I got to teach us something. Can, can I do that? Can, can, we, can we keep our mind on the Lord and learn? Okay, tonight will be different. Tonight will be apostolic church. This morning is going to be apostolic understanding. And then we're going to respond with knowledge. Somebody said amen. Everybody say stewardship. Everybody say that's every day of my life. If you are not a good steward, a steward literally means someone who manages someone else's things. The first thing I've got to get in your mind is that every dime you've ever had or ever will have, you're a steward of that because it's all God's. I'm in the Bible. I'm in the book. You say, well, no, I made that money. Who gave you the life and the strength? And the God can snap his fingers and your mind is gone. 
Everybody say stewardship. That's the context of your life. That's every day. You have to be a good manager of what God gives you. And if you're not, you will not be able to do the second part of the biblical requirement, and that is supernatural sacrifice. Because I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I can't give in a supernatural offering. I just don't have the money. Well, my first thought is, well, God gave you. You just didn't take care of. Your priorities were different than his. I know it hurt. I understand. We'll put a little salve on it tonight. Oh, boy. The same Bible that teaches sacrifice teaches stewardship. And the same Bible that teaches stewardship teaches that sacrifice is the only thing that moves God. You say, well, I, give, I, I return the tithe. Listen to me. We've always preached the blessings of returning tithe. That's not true. That only rebukes the devourer and causes him to be able to open heaven's windows. That's it. The Bible says that what you give in the offering, the tithe is 10%. Now listen to me. What we're going to do here this morning, do not pledge stupid amounts that you cannot do. Faith is not stupid. Hear me? Faith is not stupid. Faith and Scripture pass the common sense test. God is not insane. If you make $75,000 a year, do not pledge $50,000. That's not faith. That's dumb. Why do you say that, preacher? Because it violates the principles of stewardship. Now you say, preacher, this is a weird way to do this. You're trying to talk us out of giving. No, I want you, what's to me? I'm not here to raise money. I'm here to teach you the principles of God's word that will elevate you. Why do we need to be elevated? Because the kingdom needs are going to increase and grow every year. And so your income has to be elevated so that you can give more and more and more and still be a good steward. This is not some TV, give me $1,000, God is going to give you 10000 That's a lie. It ain't even biblical. If you hear that, run, 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 run the other way. In fact, God never promised to give you money for money. But I will tell you this. I've never had a need that wasn't met when I was living by proper stewardship and responding to proper sacrifice. Ever one time. So what I want you to do today is I want you to pray as I preach. And I want you, at the end of this service, when I tell your section to do so, I want you to prayerfully write down a number that is both faith-filled and realistic. Those are not, those are not opposites. Come on now. You say, well, I've never heard that kind of preaching about money. Well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. It has the benefit of being true and biblical. And here's what we're after. Watch me. We're after a sustainable model of financial growth in the kingdom year after year after year. 
to meet the needs of growth and revival. Well, I, I, man, God bless me. I gave $2,000 last year and some company I worked for 15 years ago, I went out to the mailbox three weeks later and they said, we, we messed up on your 401k. Here's extra 2,000 we owe you. That's not blessing, that's trading money. God ain't interested in trading money with you. God wants to elevate you. What do you mean? What's the difference? When God blesses and elevates you, the Bible says it this way, I'll make you the head and not the tail. This is a little higher than this. I'll make you the lender and not the borrower. It's about elevation. Here's what God wants you to do. The Holy Ghost said give five, 10,000, whatever you can afford, whatever stewardship will let you do. Here's what I want you to do. Know what you can afford and then push just a little bit. That's when you step out of paying for it and praying for it. Oh, Lord, help me. I know it's not, we're not running and shouting and bucking and snorting. We will tonight. If I've got anything left, we will. But I want you to put what God wants you. Now listen to me. If you put an amount of money on here and you give it, look at me. This is not your tithe and it's not your regular weekly offering. And if you give that today to this, you're going to mess up your church. Because this man and this lady right here are responsible to God to pay the bills. Do they send y'all bills? Are we the only ones? Preachers, the only one get the bills? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you something. If we could get people to be as faithful as the light company, they're gonna send you a bill. Well, I don't feel good this month. I don't care. Here's your bill. They're gonna send you a bill. I want you, do not put a number on this paper that is going to take your tithes or your offering and later on say, well, my God, we got a big number. I don't need to give. Okay, that's fine. You're not hurting the church. You're hurting yourself. I'm not looking to give an amount that the church needs. I'm looking to respond to the Bible truth that's going to elevate me. What God wants to do when he says bless you is if you gave $5,000 this year, he wants to give you a raise on your job so that you make that $5,000 the rest of your career. That's called elevation. I'm not getting my money back and I'm on the same level. I'm lifting. Oh boy, here we go. I'm trying to get in your head today. I'm trying to get biblically into your mind. Then Isaac sowed in that land, verse 12, and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Everybody say he received the same year a hundredfold. Only place in the Bible I can find it. Only place in the Bible I can find it. But notice this. After God gave him elevation, the hundredfold, then it says this, and the Lord blessed him. 
Do you understand that the blessings of God being talked about here are twofold? The finances is to elevate, watch me, so you can serve God's purposes. The blessing is about you and your walk with God. There is something that happens when you just stand flat-footed year after year and sometimes I've given and been disappointed and sometimes I've given and everything I own broke down. The only hundredfold blessing came in the middle of a famine. Oh boy. So listen to me very carefully. He returned and elevated and then he blessed him. Notice 13. Watch this. And he waxed great. The hundredfold return is not what made him wax great. It was when the Lord began to bless him that he waxed great. Watch me. There's a difference in God elevating you. Watch me. Listen to me. And God putting his hand of favor on your entire existence. Say, well, how do you know that? Just keep reading. The man waxed great. What did he do next? He didn't stay where he was. He moved forward in his plans. You want to move forward? You're going to have to sow in a famine. You want to wax great? You're going to have to get God to bless you and bless you spiritually. He went forward. And he grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great store of servants. I like the last five words. It got so bad, God kept blessing and elevating this man because he planted in a famine that the Philistines were jealous about it. The world got to looking and saying, how in the world, in a famine, when everything around us is falling apart, how in the world is that apostolic being blessed and growing and going forward? How in the world? Well, praise God. Sit down, I'm going to preach a minute, and then we're going to take this up. I want to talk to you from this subject. I want to see this. I want to see it. Put it up there. What thing y'all made for me? That's a whole lot better than I was thinking I could do. Planting in a famine. It looks like you might have done this before. Planting in a famine. Planting in a famine. There was a famine in Israel, Genesis 26. This famine had been going on, we believe, if we understand it correctly, between three and five years. It had not rained enough. It, crops were burnt up. Food stores were, were, were low. There was nothing to eat. They were in a famine. The situation was dire. No crops. Herds are dying because of a lack of food and foliage and, and water. Families are suffering. Uh, hundreds of families were losing members to starvation and all the sicknesses that come along. There was no work. There was no economy. There was no money. There was no trade because there was nothing to trade. Sickness and disease were running rampant and people were dying wholesale. In the midst of the death and devastation that I just described to you in Genesis 26, 
Isaac, the middle son of an exemplary father and the father of a good son. The one Isaac that we only have really one chapter dedicated to in the Bible. A lot of stuff about Abraham, ton of stuff about Isaac, but 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 oh, it's, uh, or Jacob, but but Isaac is here in the middle, and he only gets one chapter. And in the midst of this, Isaac is trying to survive and feed his family, and he determined this, let's leave this place because there's no money, there's no work, there's no economy. We're going to leave and we're going to go where there is money and there is food and there seems to be plenty and there we will reestablish ourselves. The problem was it was Egypt that was being blessed and the Spirit of the Lord came to Isaac and he said to him, hey Isaac, I got some words for you. Five words, go not down to Egypt. Let me say it in our vernacular. Hey, are you crazy? Stay out of Egypt. But we're starving up here, Lord. We're in the house of the Lord and we're starving. I don't know why we gave, we sacrificed, we did this. I don't know why we did all this. You'll never understand all that God is doing. But the word of the Lord said, go not down to Egypt. It's not my message today, but please allow me to interject here. Egypt in the scripture is always a type of the wickedness of the world and flesh. And I'm going to tell you something. It may look better for a while, but it will never supply the need of a child of God. Your pastor says don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, help me now. Missing work to work a second job or overtime is not the answer to miss church. Uh, withholding your tithe and offering in order to make, quote, ends meet uh, in the house of God is not the answer. Backing away from your commitment to God in order to get in with the so-called right people is not the answer. I would remind you, God said, go not down to Egypt. America, where you and I live, is facing a modern-day famine of sorts. Anybody ever hear this word, inflation? Okay, let me ask you another way. Anybody been to the grocery store lately? Well, it ain't as bad as it is in Canada. I saw yesterday where a packet of chicken legs in Canada at Costco, a big packet, was 220 Canadian dollars. When the bird gets that expensive. America is facing its own famine, but it's not just financial, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's moral. We've lost our minds when we're trying to teach kids surreptitiously behind the parents' back. Uh, that you do, They say you're a boy, but you get to choose that. No, you don't, Johnny. If you were born with that kind of plumbing, you're a boy. 
and God help the person that tries to tell one of our children that or you threatening them you better believe I'm threatening them I ain't threatening you I'm promising you you're going you're gonna to attack them? Nope. I'm going to start putting them in the hand of the Lord because when the hand of the Lord comes down, hmm, God's answer to us looking for easier times is always the same. You plant right where you are. Go not down to Egypt. I feel this in my soul. But pastor, you know, in Texas, uh, they've got X, Y, and Z. And then I go to Texas and hear pastors say, in Florida, they're saying they got X, Y, and Z. And then I hear all of us say, well, in Virginia, no, it don't matter where I'm at. Uh, there will always be challenges in this life. And God's answer is, don't you do nothing stupid. You stay right where God puts you. And you keep praising and you keep planting garden in the dusty old soil that hadn't had any rain on it in three years. Just keep planting. Just keep hoeing. Just keep weeding it because God is going to come at some point and when he dies, if you don't have your seed in the soil, you can't reap. The flesh would say, just hold on here a minute. Pastor, let's not get overextended. Let's prepare ourselves by stopping. We definitely don't need to, to, to be buying any buildings. and We don't need to be incurring any debt. Hush, hush. Well, let me say it in Mississippi style. Stop talking, dummy. If you can't speak the word of God, just don't speak. You know, you do have the option to be silent. My mother used to say, never miss an opportunity to just shut up. She said, every time you get a chance to stop talking, do it. I guess none of y'all's mama ever had none of that wisdom for you. But if I forgot, she would remind me. My mother had the ministry of the wooden spoon. I'm 14 years old. I'm thinking I'm a man now. And I, I was sitting there in the front seat. My mom was in the back. My daddy was driving. She said something. I popped off. And the next thing I know, I thought I'd been shot with a 22 rifle. My mother had the ability. She was not athletic. But she had the ability with a spoon. She was like Zorro, man. <laughs> She could turn that spoon on its side and hit you right here above your ear and trap that skin on the top of your ear to your head and it will paralyze you. And then I hear this little sweet voice in the back. I'm still your mother and I will take you to the bedroom and spank you. I thank God for parents who said, this is a line. We live over here, not over here. We ain't going over here. I thank God I never had to ask 
are we going to church Sunday? That never crossed my mind. Not one time, my whole life, did it ever cross my mind. Are we going to church today? When I'd get asked to go somewhere with friends from school, hey, we're going this weekend, can you go? I didn't even have to ask my mom. I'd say, no, I can't go. Well, why can't you go? We got church. Well, you didn't even ask your mom. Dude, there ain't no need to ask my mom. I can't give you the answer. We are Barnells, and we live and we die in the house of the Lord. Well, I don't want to force my child. Are you crazy? I want it to be my child's choice. You are an unfit parent. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to choir practice. I was drugged to prayer meeting. I was drugged to outreach. I was drugged to church work day. I want, I want it to be my child's choice. Are you a lunatic? Even the law recognizes they can't make proper decisions. Okay, be kind. Get off of that. God does not want us to slow down, pause. He wants us to put our foot on the floor and go as fast as we can go until Jesus says it's enough. I'm coming back to get my church out of here. Well, Brother Darnell, isn't it wise to sometimes pause and ponder? Not when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not. Uh, there's going to be people die and go to hell if we don't keep our foot on the floor. We're out of time. Money is a secondary option. We got to go. Uh, go, go, go. My God, we got to go. It's not God's way to slow his kingdom for anyone. I also want to point this out. I'm closer to being done than some of you think. About 10 miles ago, the gas light came on. I'm out of gas. Some people say, you have so many dramatic pauses. It's not a dramatic pause, I'm about to pass out. I need to breathe. I need to stop seeing spots. Can I remind you of something that I think we have lost in the kingdom of God? The old timers used to say, Pastor, we're in this world, but we are not of this world. Now, we preach that we're a separate people. I'm an apostolic preacher. I've been doing this a long time. I know the buttons to hit. I can make you tear them benches up from the floor and throw them at one another. I know how to do it. I understand the buttons you punch. And you say, well, Brother Warner, you sound like that's manipulation. No, the buttons are there because they're true in the Scripture. And we've learned them. We've applied them. We've benefited from that. So when a preacher reminds us of it, we praise God. It's not manipulation, but I do know where the buttons are. 
I can preach one God without a single note. And in 10 minutes, I can have you storting and spitting and sputtering and slinging because that revelation is precious to us. But we want, watch me, we want to relegate all segregation to what we don't do. And biblically, I don't think you can make a case. In fact, I challenge you, Mr. Theological Genius. I challenge you to find one place in the scripture where God ever let his children go through what everybody else went through and end up or remain daily in the same situation they were in. We're not just separate from the world in what we don't do. We're also separate from the world in our economy. Okay, okay. Let me say it this way. Have you ever heard of a place called Goshen? Anybody ever heard of Goshen? They were in Egypt. They had gone down there. They weren't supposed to go. They went down there and they become slaves. And God said, I'm turning out the lights in Egypt. But in Goshen, there was light in the house of the people of Israel. I'm going to let frogs fly. And frogs took over Egypt. But in Goshen, there weren't one croaking. I am in this world, but you listen to me right now. The flesh would tell me, Hey, you got millions of dollars in the bank. Don't build this building right now. But God said, you're not subject to this economic downturn. God still owns the cattle of a thousand hills. When the economy's roaring or when it's whimpering, I am not subject to the same effects that the rest of the world is. I am his child. I am set apart. I am sanctified. I am separate in everything. Egypt had plagues. Goshen did not. God, look at me, can do multiple things at once. Oh, come on. You're going to have to respond to the word. I ain't got no more gas. God can do. I wish I was 20 again. I'd preach you under that pew. God can do multiple things at one time. God can chastise a nation and bless his church. At, at the same time. They're going broke. I remember David when he was old said, I was young and now I'm old. And I've noticed something in all of my living, Brother Collins. He said, I've never one time seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You listen to me. We're in America, but my friend, we are not going to be left subject to the economic situation. God is going to help us.
He can discipline a nation and bless his church and children right in the middle of it all. Genesis 26 and 12 says this. He answered. He did not go down to Egypt. He went back to his family and said, we're not going to Egypt. The Lord talked to me. Well, what are we going to do, Dad? Hitch up the mules. We're fixing to bust this field up. We're fixing to start planting. Everybody around us is going to go look at them the idiots. They're wasting their seed. Now watch me, watch me. They had been in a famine for some three to four years at that point. They had not harvested any more planting seed and they had eaten all the reserves. They had a choice. I'm either going to eat this, take it right now and eat this seed or I'm going to plant it and trust God. He said, we're staying here and we're planting. I know, I know how he felt. I looked at my church when some of my men said, Pastor, we, you know, we might need to just hold off to these interest rates and we might need it and we might need it and we might need it. And I said, I'll pray about it. And I went and I prayed about it. And I come back on that following Sunday and said, we're building it. And two mile elders credits in that church. They stood up and said, one by one, I'm with you. Had one of them look at me and say, I think God's going to do it. In fact, I know he is. I was just waiting on you to give me direction. I'm here to give you pastor's direction. We are not slowing down. We are not backing up or backing off. My God, we're going to plant. Get the mule out. But this is all I have left. Put it in the ground. So what's your answer, Lord? Put your foot on the ground and plant in a parched field. Verse 12, Isaac sowed in a time of famine. Now listen to me, that don't make any sense. The banker's going to tell you, not now. Why are you planting? <laughs> Why are you planting in this, in, this, in this environment? Well, because this is a church. This is not. We're not building the grocery store here, and we're not building anything else. We're not trying to build a different thing. We're building a church here. And churches, hallelujah, I, when I look, I'm going to look at my banker when I have the next meeting. I can't wait to do it. I'm going to say, hey, Sherry, uh, we planted in a famine, and God has made a way. I'm going to tell you something. You listen to me. Listen good. This is something you need to pray every morning. You need to tell yourself, write it on the refrigerator. Because I know some of you have been going there regular. When we do everything we can, then God will do everything that we cannot. When we do everything that we can, then God takes over and he'll do everything that we can't. Huh? I've been taking an offering, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to illustrate it to you. I'm not talking to you about a Bible principle. I'm talking to you about something that happened in my life. Listen very carefully. Where's my musicians? Get up here and help me out. Get me out of this mess. Our church is given year after year after year. The last three years, my family has given 
really a ridiculous sum of money in this offering. This year, I will give more than most men in my church make in a single year. That's not bragging. I'm bragging on God. I didn't have that kind of money until I went there with two broke down Hondas and five people. I had 19 and went down to five. I'm powerful like that. We owed almost a million dollars on a building that was half finished. And two weeks after I got there, they red tagged it because the permits expired and we didn't have any money. And you go inside and all that was finished was the foyer, the hall, the office, and the sanctuary was about 90% done. The rest of it was undone. There was no parking lot. We had no permits. They said, you can't go back in the building. But God said, don't go to Egypt. Stay right there and plant in that parched field. Last two weeks, we've had a packed house in a rented facility, and I'm frankly nervous because I don't think I built it big enough, but I built it big as it let me. In the last two weeks, we get about half a song in, and the Holy Ghost falls in that house. And there's people laying hands on one another. And there's people praying back through and there's people getting healed and there's miracles. But let me tell you the other side of planting in a famine. For the last 18 months, a church that you couldn't hardly get to sit down to preach to for the last 10 years has gone through one after another body blow. We've lost entire families to death in three and four month periods. Just boom, 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 boom. The military's lost their mind and people are getting out, retiring early, and so they're hiring them back to do something else and sending them off. We've lost about 50 people, givers. Here I am facing all this, my God, and God said, don't go to Egypt, keep planting. Well, maybe we ought to hold off. Nope, God said, don't go to Egypt, get your mule out, start planting. In the midst of all that, we had a little girl named Leah Nolan. Five years old, the thickest, longest, blonde mane of hair. It looked like a lion's. It was beautiful. Little bitty girl hung down about halfway to her knee. Her mom would pull it up in two big ponytails, and she'd be running around that place, and it looked like something just flopping behind her full of life, had a big gap in the front of her two feet, teeth, and she'd come up and look at me. The church calls me Poppy and my, mom, and my wife, Nani. We, there, there's very few people that live in my area are, are from there. They're, they're military. They move there. They retire there. The, the grandparents are not close by. So we become the church grandparents. I'm fixing to have a little girl in May. If y'all see a star hovering over Virginia, that she's going to be about May. We're going to have Blakely Ann. And it's my job to make her as rotten as a human being can be. I will get even with my son. I, I'm going to be bad as he is. Maybe not quite as bad, but almost. This big old bruiser right here, he picked her up and I saw him. He just melted. She could ask him to burn down the fellowship hall and he'd go get the lighter fluid. I'm starting to understand. I'm about to get a revelation. At 9.30 at night on a Wednesday night, Leah Ann is running around that church laughing and giggling with all the other kids and girls full of life. At 9.45 the next morning, I heard a doctor say, I'm calling it. 
And I'm standing there looking at a mother who reached up and grabbed her hair and pulled a handful of hair out of her head. I have never heard, huh? Never heard that sound come out of a human being in my life. It wasn't a normal sound. It was an animal sound. My two boys, big old strapping, redneck hunting, truck driving maniacs were sobbing with their hands on their knees at the foot of that bed. The church had gathered in. They'd heard the word. Men were coming from work. Mud all over them. Grown men. I got ex-Navy SEALs and snipers in our church. SEAL Team 6 is about 20 minutes, 25, 30 minutes from my front door. I've got all kind of hard men that have seen stuff. And everybody in that room was sobbing. That place was roaring. And one little lady found out later she was Jamaican, came in the room with a mop bucket, leaned it up against the wall, never seen her in my life, and put it down and began to speak in tongues. I'm still not over it. I'm, I'm not getting up here telling you I am. There's days I wake up and it's like it's happened that morning. And I'll drive down the road. I had to quit going to the graveside. I drive down the road sometimes and I can't stop. I just start sobbing. This is going on while we're trying to build. Everything I owned in a brand new home began to fall apart. I had a massive water leak in the second floor of a four-year-old house. Beautiful home God's blessed us with. Ceilings are sagging. Lights are going out and shorting. But Lord, I gave ridiculous sums of money. I sacrificed. Here I am with this mess. People leaving the church like crazy. I'm talking about reality right now. Now I'm standing beside a graveside that's about that long. In the midst of it all, I began to experience terrible heart problems. I was in the back of an ambulance, rushed to a hospital right out of a pulpit. I've collapsed in the foyer of my church more than once. Don't know what's happening. Can't figure everything out. Now they tell me I'm pre-diabetic and I'm pre-this. And I looked at the doctor and said, if I hear you, Wayne, I'm pre-dead. Everything I own fell apart. I was in the hole hundreds of thousands of dollars. But God said, go not down to Egypt. Plant. Plant right now. Plant in the middle of it all. Plant, 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 plant. So I'd go up to that building with a bottle of oil. Y'all call me crazy if you want to. I am beyond what anybody thinks. I have been walking in a place with God lately in the last 18 months. I don't care anymore. It's me and Jesus and I'm doing what he said and he's going to have to fix it. Meanwhile, spiritual attack like I've never experienced in all of my life. Hit my family, hit my sons, hit my wife. 
I prayed one day, God, are, are you really wanting me to keep doing this? I'll do whatever you want me to, but are you really? And I kept hearing, stand still. You keep walking, and I'll keep working. And on the worst day of my life, listen to me, the worst day of my life, I feel the Holy Ghost. I was walking in my home. My wife was kneeling on our couch in our living room, and she wasn't praying. She was wailing in intercession. I'm talking about, oh, God. We were watching our children melt and be crushed. It's one thing when Satan jumps on me. It's another thing when he starts messing with your children. I was walking there. You can walk a circuit in the downstairs of my home. My God, I feel the anointing in this house. And I was walking, and I came through the, the butler's pantry is what they call it. We call it a closet. I came through the butler's pantry. I came into the kitchen. I went around the kitchen table, and I turned left down the back end of the house. I walked through there, and it's a big open plan. I walked over by the living room couch, and I turned left and walked around. Then I come back around the staircase, and it's a long hall to the front of our house. And my wife has runners. I've learned that not all rugs are rugs. Some of them are runners. And the moment I put my foot, my right foot hit that runner, something stopped me in my tracks. And I don't say this often, but the Holy Ghost spoke to me clearly and forcefully and definitively. And God said, you keep walking and I'll keep working and I'll fix it. My chest was hurting. My stomach was burning. I was stressed out to the max. I was anxiety filled. I was worried. I was about to just say, God, I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, with one step, my heart stopped hurting. My chest stopped feeling tight. My stomach quit burning. My, everything on me is like a thousand pounds lifted off of me. Here I stand on a runner, stairs here, my wife behind me. She said she was kneeling and she looked back over her shoulder. She said, I felt something and I heard you stop and I heard you gasp. I don't remember gasping. She said, you went, oh. She said, I turned thinking, God, what's wrong with him? And you were like this. And she said, are you okay? And I turned around and she said, when you turned around, you had the biggest smile on your face. And you said, what's wrong, honey? And you said, God just spoke to me. And she said, I've been here praying that God would speak to you. What has he said to us? I said, he told me for me and you just to keep walking according to the plan that we've laid out. And he said he'd take care of everything and he'd fix it. My son is getting on an airplane Saturday to go to Calgary to preach again, another youth revival. My other son was just offered a job. In fact, he got the job starting at 22 years of age, over $100,000 a year. When I tell you that when God says, 
Come on, ushers, get ready. I need my ushers to get ready. Listen to me. Everybody listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not done. Listen to me. I'll fix it to tell you what God will do. Look in my face. Everybody in this building, look in my face. We started the process of building, and we hit a roadblock with the federal government. The mayor's on my side now. The mayor said, fix it. They're fixing it fast. Everything comes up, they fix it. It's not costing me stuff. They're just fixing it. And all of a sudden, we got a delay. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. It was a three-month delay. It was nothing the city could do about it. It was nothing we could do about it. It was three months. I had contracts in my hand. I had financing lined up. Everything was great. I was going to walk away from this building owing very little. In three months, when they brought the contracts back and rebid the job in three months, it had gone up an additional $800,000. And all of a sudden, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the financing to do it. I've been preaching to this church. We're doing it either way. I don't care. God said, keep planting. God said, do it. I'm doing it either way. Do it. And here I am on a Sunday morning in the Sunday school class with my building committee and my church administrator. And they hand me these things and said, we need you to sign these contracts. I said, no, it's gone up, right? They said, yeah. I said, how much? They said, $800,000. And instantly I felt that weight come back on me. But I had to preach in about 15, 20 minutes. I walked out. I said, give me the contracts. I signed them. I said, give them to me. I took them out and I put them down behind the pulpit and I stood on them. And I preached faith. I preached God's going to do it. I preached stuff I didn't even sure was right. I was so raged. I was preaching to the Satan. And I made a statement. It's up over $800,000 and I don't know how, but God told me he's going to fix it. I don't remember how long it was, six weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks later. We're sitting in our living room. Very rarely does it happen that my whole family's in the same room anymore. I hate that, but that's the way it is. I wish they could all just move in with me and we'd just keep doing it. Just, but that's not how it works. Some people say, I can't wait for my kids to leave. I don't understand your thinking. I don't know who you are, but I don't understand you. You go ahead and be that way. I, I want mine to stay. Now, I don't want them to sleep with us no more. They're bigger than we are. They slept with us till they were bigger than we were, and we finally said, you got to go, man. I came in the other day. My son was laying face down on the couch. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm hugging mom. I said, is mom under there? He said, I heard her go, yes. That's his love language. He's going he's gonna to hug his mom. She happened to be laying on the couch. You'll learn to do that. She said, can you please get him off of me? I said, no, he's bigger than me. You're going to have to deal with it. I want my kids to stay. I love my kids. If you don't love your kids, you need to come down here and pray about it. But we're all sitting in the living room that day, and I'm frankly thinking, what in the world am I going to do, man? They're asking for this money, and I don't have it. I'm short $800,000. I don't know too many people I can go, hey, dude, you got an extra eight I can borrow? 
None of my friends do. You look like you might back there. You look like you might have it. And all of a sudden, my wife lost her mind. She's normally pretty reserved, sort of, sort of like you. She's kind of now. When everybody's gone, she begins her preaching, and that's normally working on me. I got a lot of problems. It's her ministry is fixing me. We always work on me. I got some issues. She's about to get me there. Right before she takes me to the grave, I'll be fixed. I know none of y'all have that relationship. Your wife tries to help you. Yeah. Before I got married, I guess she thought I was a pretty sharp-dressed guy. After I got married, I didn't have anything that matched. You're going with that? Well, I'm not now. What am I going with? I thought it matched. No, it don't match. Here, where? Okay. And after a while, you go, yeah, that's cool. Whatever, I don't care. Just lay it out. I'll put it on. You can lay out a Tweety Bird outfit. I'd put it on. I don't want to fight about it. My wife lost her mind. She jumped up and began to scream and kick her. She was just going, I'm, she's going, we got it. We got it. I'm like, what do we get? We get more COVID? What do we get? What, what do we got? Do I need to go in the other room? Do I need a mask? She said, we got it. I turned around and she's crying. I said, what did we get for the love of God? She said, we got a grant that I asked for over a year ago. When you do what you can, he will do what you can't. That one grant, they gave us $780,000. The devil said, I'm going to run it up eight hundred, dollars and you're not going to be able to do it. And God said, that's what you think. When I put my hand on it, there's not a government issue. And because he sowed in a famine, God blessed him a hundredfold in that same year. All that money I lost, all that stuff that went wrong, I got it all back. I'm fixing to give it to God again, but I got it all back because I've learned. He didn't give it to me to keep. He gave it to me to give. And I take it. And I pass it, and it just keeps increasing the speed of what's going through me in my life. Because I'm a good steward. I don't think I have to have everything everybody else has. I just have to have what God needs me to have to keep moving his kingdom forward. All right. You cannot afford to miss this principle. Sowing in a time of famine. Sowing in a time of economic uncertainty. Always carries with God a special anointing and blessing on your life. Now, if you read the news, first of all, you need to stop. Because understand this, every news organization is in business, not to let you know what's going on, but to make money. They have shareholders. They have to turn a profit. And they've learned what sells is fear. What sells is bad news. Well, I'm a CNN guy. Well, I'm a Fox guy. Where well, you're both being manipulated. 
Both of them are companies. They have stockholders. They have to make a profit. So they're going to do what works. Blood and nudity and, and, and downturn and all sales. I tell you what you ought to do. You ought to get you one of these. And get alone with God and start reading this. And read what I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen a seed begging bread. Ah, in the midnight hour, I opened my eyes and I was encamped about by a great cloud of angelic host. And the Lord had put a buffer between me and my adversary. Thou art my rock in whom I will trust. When the world begins to fall apart, I don't run to the news. I don't run to the bank. I run to the church house. I run to God because it is there. blessing of the Lord, Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. I've said it a thousand times, you cannot outgive God. Jesus set the most important blessing principle in Luke 6, 38, and it's this. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Look at me. We determine the level of blessing that God is allowed to deal with us on. God does not choose that level. We choose that level. Whatsoever measure you meet with all. We got some people want to give 10 bucks and they need a $50,000 blessing and that is not the way God, God said, you're tying my hands. I can't help you. God wants to bless you. God is going to bless this church. And this church is going to bless this community and this world through you. Hear me this morning. God has blessed many in this room on, in the past few years. In spite of pandemics, in spite of wars, rumors of wars, in spite of financial recessions, in spite of spiritual attacks, God... And I'm going to make a statement here that I mean God has been good to us. So let's get our eyes off the world. We're not subject to that economy. We're set apart. We live in a divine economy. I don't care who's at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That don't have one thing to do. God owns the cattle of a thousand years. If it's an independent, a Republican, or a Democrat, God owns it. And I'm a living witness. And I can walk you through a church building in Virginia that God is going to prosper his cause. I refuse to be content with where I'm at. 
I refuse to be content to let this church stay where it's at. I refuse, as long as you have me here, I'm going to push you. I'm going to be in your grill. I'm going to be reminding you that God is in charge. I'm, I'm going to be challenging you to go higher and to do more and to step out further. Because listen to me, listen to me carefully. God did not call this man here for this city alone. God planted this church and he's blessing this church, watch me, to be a beacon to this region of the world. So, Brother now, what are you talking about? Every time I prayed about this service, I, I kept feeling like God wanted to say, this church is going to reach into South America. This church is going to, oh, hallelujah. This church is going to reach into Africa. This church is going to reach into Asia. This church is going to reach into the Muslim nations. If you think this is just about where you are, you're wrong. God is planning something here, and God needs you to sow seed in famine. Everybody returns to your seats except for the ushers pass out the cards and the pens who is the oldest living church member and the oldest living member in the church here brother who Where's both of them? Is that you, brother? Get him, pastor, and bring him up here. You said there's another brother in the church that's, that's trying, to, trying to outrun him. Where, where, where is that? You don't have to come up on the platform. Just come stand here with pastor. I want you to pray with us. Bible talks about when elders come. The Bible talks about pillars being shaken. Anybody remember that in the Bible? Once you get your card, don't fill it out, just wait. Stand up here with us, Pastor. I couldn't hear his name. Brother Donnelly. Brother Donnelly, it's an honor to meet you, sir. It's an honor to meet you. You know what this is? This is not an elderly gentleman. This is proof positive that God sustains his people. These aren't wrinkles in our faces. These are road maps of old wars we fought with hell. And I want Pastor to join hands with Brother Donnelly. I'm going to hold his hand too. Pastor, I want you to pray that God would speak to us in the context of his word 
and speak to us about what he'd have us to do today. God, we humble ourselves before you in this house under the auspices of your great presence that's here right now. God, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to your word, to your spirit, and to your plans for our life. God, we understand that we're here only by your grace and your mercy and your provision. And God, we settle ourselves today simply as vessels and conduits that you can work through. God, I pray that you would lay your hand upon our hearts, upon our minds today, Jesus. Help us to yield ourselves in this very moment to open our hearts and our hands and say whatever it takes, God, we're yours today. Oh, God, help us to fulfill your will and your promise in this house that when we leave this sanctuary, your will would be accomplished in this place today. We give you the praise and the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Brother Donnelly, for coming up here and seeing us. That's what God does to people who just keep walking and planting. All right, everybody have their card. I'm not talking to these two sections or these two. Y'all just hang on. I'm talking to these two sections right here.